Bienvenidos and welcome to episode 27 of the Jacobin Sports Show. This is a special NBA free agency episode. I am Matthew Miranda, joined as always by the backcourt-deprived Jonah Birch. <laughs> Jonah, before we dive into a lot of basketball stuff, I have a, a strange hypothetical for you. It came I'm up, so excited. Um, so if let's say if you adopted a shelter dog, which we advocate at the Jacobin Sports Show, and it turned out like this was just the absolute sweetest dog you have ever known. Like it completes your life. It completes your family. Like you did not know what life could be until this dog came into it. And then somehow, don't worry about the details. Later, you were to discover that in a past life, this dog was Joseph Stalin. Would you keep the dog? Or hey, no? Hey. Wow. This is not an easy question. This is not, yeah. it's not easy. Yeah, I would definitely keep the dog. I mean, you know, <laughs> there's got to be limits, right? I, I don't think I could handle a Nazi dog. but uh, I think everybody, that's the thing. If you say Hitler, you guarantee, I think, a certain range of response to this question. But even just taking it down to Stalin, people are like, maybe. Look, I wouldn't you know, even get a, a German Shepherd, dog. you know? <laughs> in, in my house growing up, they we called Volkswagens the Nazi car, you know. So, uh, I, yeah, you know, there there's there's real limits there. You are comfortable profiling an entire category of dog. It literally, you know, uh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. A German Shepherd, please. I know how this ends up. All right, you're not gonna fool me, as George Bush said, "Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me, you can't get fooled again." You know. <laughs> anyway. On that note, from uh, I think that's our first George Bush quote in the the twenty seven episodes of Jacobin Sports. Here's can I, here's my promise to you if you if you uh, want this. So you know, there's a, a whole like a forgotten generation of George, liberal George Bush jokes from the early two thousands, and I remember all of them. So <laughs> I, you know, on every show, I can share a. Uh, you know, a classic 2004 era George Bush joke. That's if you want, you know, I, it's, I'm just making that offer. I am not going to stop that from happening. I'll tell you that right now. All right, let's dive into obviously the biggest story in NBA free agency without question, the Orlando magic resigning Robin Lopez to a, a one year. Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry. It, it has to be obviously the New York Knicks. Um, in particular, the last 24 to maybe 36 hours, the Knicks getting Kemba Walker, who got a buyout from Oklahoma City, and New York signed the New York native to a two-year, $16 million bargain. Um, and then last night, news breaking that Julius Randle has signed um, a four-year extension for barely less than a million less per year than what Chicago gave DeMar DeRozan. Just want to put it in that context for you. If you think paying a 32-year-old who hasn't been an all-star for three years that much money is a great deal, which I keep seeing, and we'll talk about that in a bit, then the Knicks getting a 26-year-old All-NBA All-Star for basically the same money, and less than a lot of people thought he was going to hold out until next year. He could have gotten more money. Yep. So the Knicks in a week have managed to retain continuity, They've kept their bench, which was one of the NBA's best benches last year, um, together. They, they re-signed Nerlens Noel. They brought back Derrick Rose. They re-signed Alec Burks. They, they, and then absolute poaching of the Boston Celtic backcourt. Evan Fournier explaining why did he come to New York. He basically was like, it's New York. Kemba Walker, very happy to be home. I will add that the Boston Celtics making their first tactical strike in free agency have brought Enos Cantor back into the fold. The, you know, Jonah, how are you feeling? How are you feeling about of, the, of the Gulenis movement. Shifting? Sorry. <laughs> how do you feel about this Northeast, you know, axis of power turning a little bit more now in a, in a Southern direction towards the big apple? Um, I, so, you know, first of all, the, the um, Kemba Walker thing hurts my heart because I love Kemba Walker. He's a, he's a great person. I think he was very treated likable. very badly at the end by the Boston media. Uh, you know, not not to sound all Trumpish, they were very unfair to him. Very unfair. <laughs> I got a Trump and a Bush reference so far. Where is this pod going? <laughs> so 
So it, it's a great story in a lot of ways. Even though I'm sad about Kemba leaving, happy that he's he's coming to the Knicks from the Bronx, from Soundview. You know, it, it, it makes a lot of sense. Rice High School. Yeah, right. Rice High School. There's a lot of there's there's real questions about whether Kemba's knees will ever be the same. Yeah. So and when he if you watched him on Charlotte or when he first came to the Celtics, the first couple of months there, <clears throat> Kemba was one of the had to be one of the best pick and roll ball handlers in, in the league. You know, really someone who, it, you know, as a modern NBA point guard could run the high pick and roll. And, and was really devastating, you know, in a way that you see differently, but you see with people like Dame Lillard or Steph Curry. Uh, and uh, he had, he had you know, a few different weapons that he used. P- particularly as a scorer, he was super effective. He could finish around the rim. That wasn't his strongest suit, but he definitely could do it. He's a smaller guard, obviously. Um, but the combination of his mid-range game, which was super effective, and just the incredible off-the-bounce three-point shooting really made him, you know, really, really devastating in that regard. After he got hurt, you know, and he, he played, he had some good stretches, definitely, the end of that, uh, you know, during the bubble, the end of that first year. But coming back this year, he was not nearly as effective, clearly, right? I mean, he was very inconsistent, and he, he, he wasn't able to carry an offense in that way. So it really is all about the health of his knees. Obviously, if he's something like the player that he was, that's a, a, an incredible coup for the Knicks. And uh, a little bit, I get what Oklahoma City is doing, but, you know, I, I it's, it's, it's too bad. Clearly, they couldn't get anything for him, right? They weren't able to move his contract, um, you know, for anything of value. Fournier is a, is a good player, and I, you know... The Knicks three-point shooting is going to be so much better next year, right? I mean, they're just going to be uh, a much improved shooting team, um, you know, and, and that's something that they, there's a lot of interesting parts there. I'm not sure they're at that top contender level. I mean, you would be able to speak to that better than I would, but they obviously are going to be, uh, you know, really improved. There's, there's something interesting to say about what the Celtics are doing here because, to be fair... To myself, uh, a little <laughs> bit, I think, that the reason Evan Fournier came to the Knicks is because the Celtics were not going to match their contract offer, right? They were not going to give him as much money. I think he got three years guaranteed plus a yeah, team 358 option. 358 is guaranteed. Yeah. And then, yeah. yeah, so the Celtics weren't going to do that. Uh, and there's a lot of panic in Boston right now. I, oh, it, 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 there's, we, it's worth a longer discussion because I actually think what they're doing makes sense in a lot of ways. They, they're they clearly saving all of their chips right now for a third star, right? They want to be a championship contending team. And and obviously they didn't think Kemba was going to be able to play that role uh, or, or Fournier. In the short term, they're going to be, I mean, probably the Celtics will be better defensively next year. You know, not just because Kemba, very strong offensive player, had some weaknesses defensively. You you replace him with Marcus Smart, you know Josh Richards Richardson, um, better defensive players, mm. but also uh, the Al Horford stuff. And his Cantor, face of the Gulanis movement, uh, is uh, <laughs> obviously not going to help that. Uh, you know, not not going to be a plus there. He does, you know, like he does one or two things, and that's what he does. Um, so I think. What's really positive for the Knicks, I don't, this doesn't make them a contender. And I think if you accept as a given, and I don't know what will happen with Philadelphia's, um, whatever they end up doing with Ben Simmons, but if you accept Brooklyn and Milwaukee and probably Philadelphia as expected locks to get to the second round in the East, then there's, there's one spot left for grabs. And I think what the Knicks have done this week is improve their chances of being that team from a year ago. They were outclassed by Atlanta in large part for two reasons. They could not contain Trey Young yep. and could not make him work on the defensive end. And Julius Randle, everything fell to him and he couldn't, there was nowhere for him to turn. Yeah. When you add now, instead of Alfred Payton and Reggie Bullock, who's a wonderful spot-up shooter but has no off-the-dribble game whatsoever, 
just replacing those two with Kemba and Fournier now means in a playoff series, you cannot lock in on Randall for 40 minutes a night because Kemba Walker will hurt you. Fournier can hurt you. RJ Barrett has improved. So I think the Knicks are, as you're saying, they shot very well from three last year, but they didn't take a high volume. With Kemba, who last year he had over eight attempts a game, and Fournier, it's basically like a boxer who like has a very good uppercut, but now he's actually going to start throwing some uppercuts, which I don't think they did last year at all. It's why they grind out a lot of wins, but this I think will let them on some nights, you know, you just want to be able to outclass the Hornets, you know, rather than struggling along with them. And at the defensive end, um, I think by drafting McBride, I think that's if he gets some playing time, I don't whatever. They still don't have an answer for Trey Young. But I do think that they're a more balanced team than they were a year ago. And I think their ceiling is second round, which would be an improvement from last season. And for a franchise that historically this century does not sustain any success, even that would be an enormous win as far as the season goes. Yeah, it's not just shooting itself, but, uh, you know, like you say, they were relying on Randall to carry, carry the offense last year. And, uh, you know, to be the playmaker, the guy with the ball, that is going to be totally different. So many more options they're going to have now. Now, I you know, I wonder... Uh, and and by the way, I, I noticed you posted on, on Twitter a comparison of Julius Randle and Kristaps Porzingis' uh, salaries. It got in there somehow. You know, the obsession. I like it. I You know, the endless <laughs> obsession with with KP. Uh, you I, know what? It's not, it's not hate of KP. I resent the media so much for, at times, there is absolutely at times an energy of like we're gonna shit on the Knicks because it's it's easy to do and it's gonna get engagement and when that trade was made I wrote it instantly the next day I wrote a piece about why I thought it was a great trade all you heard forever from everyone was like oh my god what a steal lol Knicks Dallas you know rips off the trade and that never made sense to me not because I don't believe my team is capable of screwing up a trade believe me it's not that it just always seemed obvious to me from any vantage other than, oh, the Knicks suck. That trade never seemed to me like an obvious win for Dallas. There was enormous risk, which they're facing now. Um, yeah, I think I would say they're in a tough position. Yeah, whereas Julius Randle, hey, $10 million less a year, and you're getting far superior production. Same thing with Kemba. On the Celtics, I think, because they acquired him in the, in the wake of losing Kyrie Irving, um, which is a, a bitter loss for them. They were paying Kemba Walker a max deal to be the third best player on a title contender. Yep. And he maybe is not quite up to that, certainly not when he's injured. But the Knicks are paying him basically Frank Nilakina money to be better than Alfred Payton on a team that just get to the second round and, the, and there'll be a parade. In that context, like I, it seems as long as he's healthy, it seems like a, an, an obvious win. Yeah, and that's the big if, but at $16 million, I, that's a gamble you're willing you know, you're, you're, you're willing to take yeah, and it's 16 over two years. Yeah. Right. That's what I mean. Like, yeah. Right. That's incredible. So um, yeah. What a bargain. Well, so what does this do to the new Knicks fan favorite young player, Emmanuel quickly? I mean, you know, you got Rose, you have Kemba, you have Fournier in the backcourt. What, what, what does this do to quickly's playing time? I think it, I think, the feeling is that this is good for quickly. Um, it would have been, I think, too much too soon to thrust him into... Before this move was made, people were speculating, like, does this mean quickly is going to start? And quickly was at his best last season playing um, off a bench unit with Derrick Rose because they both basically played combo guard off of each other. And Rose is so good at penetrating that it opened up a lot of catch and shoot for quickly. I think this move is good for quickly. I think before the backcourt depth chart was looking kind of shallow and I'm not sure yet how much of a point guard quickly actually is. Um, he definitely seems to me like more of a scorer and this keeps Rose from having to start, which his knees are not cut out for that. Now he's back off your bench. He's leading those units. He's back with quickly. I think it's great for quickly. Yeah. I mean, look, the the Knicks are going to be exciting. I, to be honest, they'll be fun to watch next year. And uh, yeah. obviously, at some point, if they continue to have this level of success, 
or uh, kind of advance in, in small increments, there's going to be a question about where they can make moves to make, you know, another leap. Uh, but mm-hmm. but I guess we're kind of not at that point yet. Is that is that right? Yeah, I don't think so. And I think they're, you know, that you saw in the draft, they, they picked up again this year, another first, another second. Um, they still have a, a pretty good cap, you know, flexibility if they need to. They're definitely like they're they're improving, but they're in position to make a move whenever Superstar X suddenly becomes available and is interested in coming to New York. Speaking of advanced, you said advanced in small increments. We're gonna go to advanced in age. The LA Lakers out on the left coast where the Expendables was filmed have become a real life version of the Expendables on top of LeBron James and Russell Westbrook, who are on the mature side of 30. They have added now Carmelo Anthony, the great Carmelo Anthony, Dwight Howard, Trevor Ariza, Wayne Ellington. They also extended Taylor Horton Tucker and have added on the younger side, Kendrick Nunn and Malik Monk. It's a 2011 super duper team, right? You know, it's like... this feels like a Hall of Fame class, not a, you know, not a starting lineup. But mm-hmm. I, I don't know what to say. People are, I, I feel like if, if I come across as, as critical, people are going to think I'm being a anti-Lakers homer. It, it's not true. I don't really get it. But, I, you know, whatever. They, they have to be great defensively. And, and maybe they will be. I mean, look, LeBron and AD are enough to get you very, very far if they're healthy. Mm-hmm. The the Malik Monk pickup is really good. Yeah, I like that. I mean, that really made a lot of sense. I thought that was a, a, a great pickup. Um, I, I don't understand. Uh, like, I, it doesn't seem to me that Russell Westbrook is the perfect fit here. I'm not sure he's the perfect fit anywhere at this point. I do. I like him as a player, but obviously you would want to put him on a team with a lot of shooting. Uh, they they have to do some funky stuff with the lineups. I think Frank Vogel will do that. I don't know whether <clears throat> Carmelo or Trevor Ariza. I mean, how much do you want to be relying on them at this point? I I guess I'm not I'm not positive about that. So there's a way that I can see it working, where, like you said, just having the Ron and Davis if they're healthy guarantees you like you're in the playoffs. So right off the bat. And you're in the playoffs as a team nobody wants to play. What I think could work for them is Westbrook, I don't think is the best. I think Westbrook is a strange fit next to LeBron. But where I think he's a good fit for this team is you have two star players, either because of age in LeBron's case or in Davis's case, just an injury history. Like you're not asking LeBron and Davis to play 82 games. You just want them ready for the playoffs. You need someone beside them who can soak up usage, um, just handle a lot of just the, the erosion of a season. And Westbrook is a, is a player who is willing to throw himself into a wall over Fair. and over Fair. and over again. And I feel so if Westbrook, basically it's like a track relay. And like if Westbrook can just get them to the anchor and the anchor is fresh, like they figure they'll win. The question with that, though, like you're saying... You know, Carmelo and Ariza and, and Dwight Howard have all, at points, even in recent years, been very effective bench players, but um, it's hard to rely on three or four older players to be healthy when you need them all to be healthy. And now the Lakers are relying on more than that to all be healthy enough to have consistency, enough, like, I really like that they extended Horton Tucker. He's an intriguing prospect. He's young. Sure. And I think... Uh, Monk and Nun, Monk and Nun maybe can give them some of that time also, but it's interesting. I think it can work. I just don't know if it can stand up long enough to work when they needed to. You know. Let me ask you another question, which is former now, I guess, Lakers fan favorite Alex Caruso was really important yes. to this team the last couple of years. I, I actually mm-hmm. think Lakers fans still really like him. He, he was super important to the team. He was obviously a really excellent defender, you know, a guy who could shoot the ball, did a number of things. Aren't they going to miss him? Am, am I crazy to think that that was a, a, a big loss for them? I think it is a big loss. 
And I, I read somewhere that he, he wanted to come back maybe for even less than he got from Chicago. Um, but it sounds like they chose to move on, which that tells me, I don't know if, I guess the thinking for them could be like, they're going to have to, especially to accommodate Westbrook is one of the largest salaries in the league. Sure. To accommodate that. I mean, he's making over $40 million. Yeah. It's like 44, I think something like that. So you can't have that and LeBron and Davis and Horton Tucker making, I think it's like $8 million a year now, or close to $10 million a year, and pay Caruso. So, given that Horton Tucker has a bigger upside, is a younger player, and um, probably didn't cost... We might, I, I can't remember what, what Caruso got from Chicago, but... I, I think um, he the got... Did, didn't he get... About $10 million a year, was or, it? No, I thought it was more, but uh, let's look it up. Horton Tucker is... Um, you're right. He agreed to a four-year, thirty-seven million dollar deal. Okay, so it's it's more years. It's probably close to the same money. Horton Tucker has better upside. You have to make a choice. There goes Caruso. Yep. Yeah. You mentioned Caruso, who went to Chicago. Chicago, I feel, has been oddly celebrated. I like they got Tice, um, who I like, and Caruso. I, I like those minor moves. To commit, they have Zach Levine a year from now, due for unrestricted free agency, and. I feel that they have a lot of nice names in their starting lineup. Like Gukovic is a very talented center. Patrick Williams is a very intriguing prospect. Levine is a great scorer. DeRozan and Lonzo Ball both, you know, have resumes that speak for themselves. But when I look at that team as a whole, I don't feel like there's enough defense yeah. or enough... Um, it, seems, it just seems a little oddly fitting to me. It's not the same, but... A few years ago, the Bulls had this just epically hard team to watch where it was Rondo and Dwayne Wade and someone else. I think Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler. But like he was younger and not as good of a shooter as he is now. It was hard to watch. And Lonzo Ball and DeRozan and Levine can all be effective. At, I just don't know if it goes together. And I'm reading like all these reviews of like, oh my God, the Bulls are a lock for a top six you know, position. Do you feel like... This is an obvious no improvement for Chicago? Well, yes. I think it's an obvious improvement. And I think they're going to be a lot of fun. By the way, Zach Levine, you think he's been a bit of an eye-opener in in Tokyo? I mean, he, you know, let, let me say that uh, he has also been floated in, as a potential target for the Celtics now as a third max player. Sorry to make it all about... Uh, Boston, <laughs> you know, and he's playing with Tatum and I'm like watching right. to see their body language. Like, how are they interacting right. with each other? And, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. What, what moves are being plotted here? Right. Um, right. I, but, I, you know, look, they are going to be a fun team, aren't they? I, Lonzo Ball is a fun player. I like him. Yeah. The DeRozan thing. I mean, I, maybe he's been a, a little bit lost in San Antonio and some of his improvement has been missed over the last couple of years. You know, I, I think he's blossomed more as a kind of offensive centerpiece, doing yes. more things um, than uh, even than he did in, in his Toronto days. Um, yeah. You know, and then with Vucevic and uh, they, they have some interesting pieces. Now, you're right. The defense is going to be an issue. Lonzo Ball is a good defender, I think. Uh, but overall, good, they're going to have a good team defender. But like like on the ball point of attack, he's not a great one on one defender. Neither is Levine. That's not DeRozan's responsibility. He can't do it either. Yep. If if Patrick Williams develops the way they think he can, he might be that guy for them. Yeah, he's he's a nice player, huh? I, you know, mm-hmm. he's, he yeah, he could be a very good is. defender. Um, mm-hmm. I, and are they just done with Laurie Markkinen? Is that is that past? He's restricted, and I'm pretty sure they're going to try to work out like a sign and trade. Right. I don't know if they're a guaranteed top six, but they are going to be more competitive. Yeah. I think. Um, I think so too, but I mean, more competitive when they were one of, I think now 10 teams make it. So five teams in each conference, like don't even make the play in tournament. They were one of those teams. So I think they're more competitive. You know, they could be a team that gets in the play in tournament, but I don't see guaranteed top six at all. Speaking of Eastern conference teams that we love to hate, the Miami Heat have been extremely busy this off season as well. They have added 
many big names. In addition to retaining Jimmy Butler and Duncan Robinson with extensions, Miami has added Kyle Lowry, P.J. Tucker, a.k.a. the rich man's Jay Crowder, and, on a minimum deal, Victor Oladipo. Last season, the Heat did not get out of the first round. They were swept by the Bucks. They've made a lot of moves. Does it matter? Do you see, do you feel like, yep, Miami's on to something? This is another one that I, I don't get, and I, I'm almost certainly going to be proven wrong because Pat Riley, who is the devil, but is, you know, is an evil genius. He's a good, he's a good devil. He is. He is. He's a very talented, obviously, team builder. Schenectady's own Pat, Pat Riley. New is York's, that right? Is that right? Yeah, New York's own kid. Very, very blue-collar upbringing and community. Interesting. I, didn't he go to Kentucky and play under... Um, he did. Who was, the, who was the segregationist coach? Uh, Adolph Rupp? <laughs> Which one? Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Adolph Rupp. Sorry, I just yeah, had yeah. to associate Pat Riley <laughs> <laughs> with bad things. You don't, you don't hate the Lakers at all, Joe. <laughs> no, but... I, so, look. I, so, I, I think Dragic and Lowry are around the same age. I understand hmm. that, that Kyle Lowry is, first of all, a great point guard. Has, has been a great player, uh, a great leader for a team. And um, you could see the the vaunted culture, heat culture, he and, and Jimmy Butler kind of being at the core of that. I don't know how much of an improvement he is over, over Dragic, who's done really good things for the Heat, you know, over the last couple of years. You know, defensively, certainly, he's going to be a much better player, but... But Gordon Dragic was was important for them. I guess I also don't fully get it here. It, it's not that um, look the the Heat are going to be really good. Of course they have Bam, they have Jimmy Butler, they have Kyle Lowry. You know they have Duncan Robinson. They can you know hope that Tyler Hero that last year was just a little bit of a blip. But this is not like a you know this is not a super team, right? I, I'm no. not convinced that this team can compete with the Nets next year, who we should also talk about because they, I, I mean, the Patty Mills signing, I, yep. I thought was excellent. And then going forward, they're not that young, right? I, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, so, I'm, of course, there are more moves they can make and they can try and reload after. I'm not like, oh, they're a guaranteed finals contender or championship contender, either now or in the future. So I guess I'm confused about why Kyle Lowry was the guy they were going to kind of go all in for and really make their um, their focus. I mean, he's, what, 36, 35? How old is he going to be when this deal is up? That's a good question. Um, mid to late 30s, certainly. Probably late 30s. I think that... I think Miami is, at the moment, going all in on... Defense. Adebayo is like a brilliant defensive player. Sure. Butler's a great defensive player. Lowry's a great defensive player. Tucker's very good. Oladipo, you know, when he's healthy, is very good. I don't see them beating Brooklyn. I don't know if I see them beating Milwaukee. Um, I could see them beating Philadelphia because I think Philadelphia has mental problems, like as a team. And, and um, the city, emotional problems. <laughs> I thought we might get through that without, <laughs> but no. So I, I think Miami's ceiling is with the right matchup. I think they could get to the conference finals. Um, I'm not sure that I'm not sure that it's enough to get by the Nets or the Bucks. Certainly, but you mentioned the Nets, and yeah, in addition to I think a really great under the radar move, in they lost Spencer Dinwiddie, but they signed Patty Mills, who's a wonderful. I think he'll be great off the bench for them um, as a little spark plug guard, and also in the most obvious like foreshadowing of a story that's going to happen next June. They also signed James Johnson, who like basically comes from a family of MMA champions. And he himself is an MMA, has that background. And you just, I can already see the flagrant against Giannis and the Nets. Stand, I, I can just see I, the reason that they signed James Johnson <laughs> is to be a flagrant dirty. foul. Giannis. I'm telling you, <laughs> I'm telling you now, get the fine ready. There it is. Nice moves for the Nets, definitely. How do you feel about their... Are, who's the favorite to you next year in the East? I mean, it's got to be the Nets. I, you know, 
So Look, they they probably would have won this year. You know, I would say very good shot if if they had stayed reasonably healthy. The Dimwitty thing, he wasn't on the team last year, right? I mean, he was hurt. He tore his so ACL. It's not like yeah. you're you're losing anything. And he was not he did not want to come back to be a backup. No. Nor were were they going to give him that much money, you know, to yeah. sit behind Kyrie and whereas Patty Mills just a really you know, he's a nice player. He's a he's a quality player. And as someone who you're you're asking to be what you're you know, really your kind of fifth option offensively. He's going to come off the bench, mm-hmm. right? You know, uh, uh, it makes a lot of sense to me. So I I just don't know if anyone can compete with them in the East next year, including Milwaukee, to be honest, if, um, you know, if, if the Nets stay healthy. Mills is the kind of player, um, he's like the dagger in a playoff series. He's the guy who, like on a critical possession where you need a stop and you double Durant and the ball swings around. Mills is the guy who's open with like three seconds left and hits the three that like kills you. He's, he's such, I like him so much. He's yeah. such a good player. Yeah. He's a, he's a really uh, good shooter and yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Cause in ball handling, you can play Kyrie off of him, give Kyrie a break. I really, I like that a lot. Um, a couple other interesting little minor notes from free agency from the always bet on yourself department. John Collins, about a year ago, was offered, I think, five years and $90 million yep, by the Hawks. Yeah, exactly. And turned it down, and I thought he was crazy. I was like, you know what, John Collins, what? John Collins ended up signing for the same five years, but now for $125 million instead of 90 It's not the full max that he wanted, but that's a pretty good you know, runner-up um, for John Collins. <laughs> a nice player. Um, that's, a good, that's, that's a good salary for the Hawks. Um, especially with the cap, you know, going up, and it's a it's a good deal for a nice player, but not a not a best player on a franchise kind of player. Like that's that's I think a good deal for both of them. I, I like what the Hawks have done, right? I mean, I like the team yeah. that they're building, and um, I you know the East is going to be competitive next year below the Nets. The Nets are the clear favorite, but how things slot b- below them, there's a bunch mm-hmm. of teams you could see kind of. Fitting into that that two slot, for example, right? I think the East is going to be better than it's been in a while, or certainly more, more, yeah, more depth of quality and competitiveness than there has been in a while. What about the Sharif Cooper draft pick? I mean, I thought that was interesting. Um, I do too. He turns out he's on a he's on a two way deal, uh, which was a little surprising. Why did he um, drop so much? What what happened there? Questions about his uh, his shooting. Okay. He's a brilliant, that, brilliant ball handler, passing defense. But I, I remember reading a, a scouting report about him early on for the Knicks. Uh, people thought he might go in the first round, and I just had. I mean, he's better at the other things, but like I had Alfred Payton, like immediate, like like PTS. Well, like, you know, Knicks fans are are so traumatized by the Alfred Payton. I'll tell you why, and I just <laughs> I defended Payton as much as I could as a, on a human level. And it's not even a. It's what happened to Peyton is not necessarily about Peyton. It's about years of Chris Duhon, Jose Calderon, Shane Larkin, Jarrett Jack, Emmanuel Moutier, Trey Burke, Frank Nilakina, Alfred Peyton. It's about New York City being the global, like, like spiritual center of point guards. And every single year, the Knicks trotting out somebody who can't do almost anything at the position. Right. So it's not about... now. And Peyton also, I, I'll say about Peyton, I've seen some bad shooters over the years with the New York Knicks. Alfred Peyton is not just... A lot of guys struggle from the perimeter. Alfred Peyton struggles to shoot from everywhere. Two-foot floaters... Little turnaround jumper. I've never seen a player. He misses in ways. You know how when you watch like Steph Curry shoot, Steph Curry plays a game with himself for practice where if he doesn't swish the free throw, like it doesn't count. Like he has to swish it. That's how good a shooter he is. Peyton is the literal opposite of that. Where like you will see some of his misses, and the ball will spin off in like directions that like you make you think the Coriolis effect has somehow jumped like hemispheres. It doesn't. He misses in ways. 
it literally looks impossible. Some of the ways that he misses. You have to watch. I I hope, and I mean this sincerely. I hope the Celtics sign Alfred Payton so you can see for eighty-two games <laughs> what it is that I'm. T- you can't appreciate it until you see it on a nightly basis. Well, I hope Charlie. it doesn't happen. We've had, you know, <laughs> Ennis Cantor is is <laughs> one deeply flawed former Nick too many. Do you think Orlando Magic fans are as traumatized about Alfred Payton, or are they just have they just given up on? I think it's worse for them because you know they had him as a very young player and had a lot of hope and and to and he's a weird he's a very weird player. This is a guy who is one of there's a record for the most triple doubles in a row and it's like Michael Jordan maybe Larry like will Ch- like crazy crazy and then Alfred Payton. Mm. Like he he's he's it's not to write him off as that he can't do anything but he's not you gotta have him in a he he's like you know what he is? He's like a, a tropical plant. Like and you live in the northeast. Like that's not his environment. But if you create just the perfect circumstances for him to survive in like a greenhouse, he can be okay. But the New York Knicks were not the greenhouse for Alfred Payton. <laughs> if I leave you with nothing else today, let me leave you with that. <laughs> wow, I gotta think about that that metaphor. Now <laughs> Does that make James Dolan the the head gardener or something? Is that um, you know? It is, but he has he has a very brown thumb. There's no green, <laughs> there's no green happening there at all. As New York Ranger fans will tell you if you talk to them right now for five minutes. Why do they are um, they angry at James Dolan? Oh, my furious because last year Dolan Dolan for a while it's like he's this this king and he left the the land where the Rangers are for a while and they just let them operate and they did fine. While he fucked up the Knicks. And then it's like very recently he remembered, oh yeah, I actually own that land too. And he took a visit and fired the very popular John Davidson, who has a player and an announcer, is a New York Ranger, like hockey legend and fan favorite. Fired Davidson, who had left Columbus to come take the Ranger job. Fired Jeff Gordon. And hired Chris Drury, who's a big name, which Dolan loves. And Dolan at the introductory press conference mentioned how Drury, he, he sees him and he, he sees Brian Cashman, which is a totally fair comparison to make when you've hired someone to their first ever front office job at the professional level. Why not compare them to someone like Brian Cashman? So what, yeah, Ranger what, fans. Someone like Brian was, uh, Cashman who has 10 years of mediocrity under, you know, on his record. Is that is that what you mean? Or no, no. I'm, I'm just, oh, here what I'm saying. If you take Chris Drury's office for the Rangers and Brian Cashman's office with the Yankees, and I hate the Yankees, but Brian Cashman is going to have some trophies and some things that Chris Drury does not have. Chris Drury, all he has on his office is that little where you pull one ball and it bounces <laughs> into the other. That's all he has. I right love now. those so things. Mention- yeah, everyone does. It's but really just, incredible. Uh, if you do, if you do two, it goes two in the other direction. And Brian Cashman didn't have room for that a long time ago. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> That's true. That's a good point. Uh, Fair enough. Two other little interesting bits I think of note. Uh, the Phoenix Suns last year's runner-up signed JaVale McGee um, to a roster spot. JaVale McGee, I want to point out, if he wins with Phoenix, and he has been winning rings of late, he will have as many championships in his career as Shaquille O'Neal had, at which point Shaq can no longer insult JaVale McGee. No, he still can. Him. He still can. He <laughs> can still... <laughs> Listen, people love JaVale McGee, and I, I think this was a signing primarily for the Suns PR department so they could step up their Instagram game because it, can't lose, you know, he's really, uh, did you see the thing with him and bam at bio? See, no. this is why I love social media. You know, JaVale McGee is on the USA team, right? You know, as a yes. late addition. So they're like joking around and JaVale McGee makes a joke about his name and, and, and you know, what's bam short for. It's a charming video. And you're like, I get it. I get why everyone loves JaVale McGee, except for Shaquille O'Neal, who, let's be honest, is is he a great basketball analyst? No. But at least he does, for all his his stupid bullshit and his biases, the man speaks his mind, and I respect that, you know? The way no other Papa John spokesperson would, uh, (laughs) or whatever company he's... He's repping right uh, now. You know. I see hot, the general, uh, there's a few. Other. Shaq is weird because two of the strange things about Shaq are 
to have been as enormous as he was, as successful as he was, and he still, like you're saying, will do a commercial for anybody who pays anybody. Him. I, mean, Any, I mean, literally anyone. The general looks like a high school really video, does. and he's always in that stupid <laughs> car with him. I remember and the also, first time I saw that. Yeah. Let, let me just say, I'm like, <laughs> what off-brand low-rent car insurance company is Shaquille O'Neal? And Shaquille O'Neal. <laughs> uh, and also, for a guy who spent much of his career talking about his rightful place in like the pantheon of NBA centers, NBA greats, and I think sometimes his career is slept on, by people somehow but the number of significantly smaller in stature modern day centers that he has beefs with and that he goes after would be like if michael jordan you know felt like he had to talk shit about ronnie brewer like why does Shaq have to go after he goes after every center and the funniest thing to me is that the root of all this is Shaq being pissed at Dwight Howard for adopting the Superman, the Superman. logo? <laughs> Something Shaquille O'Neal had nothing to do with the creation of. Nothing. <laughs> Superman was around 40 years before Shaq, but as far as Shaq can tell, Joel Klein, nope. Everyone who created Superman, nope. Nobody it, heard of him until Shaq took it. Was it Donovan Mitchell who was getting interviewed on, like, TNT post game. Yes, it was. Yes, it I was. had a great game, and Shaq was like, "You, you can't do it. I don't. You're not. Like, a, I, don't, I don't really think you're that good." And I'm saying that to motivate you. <laughs> you're just like, I mean, this is riveting TV. But what is wrong with you? What is going on now? Mm-hmm. To, okay, so just to be fair to Shaq, because of how the game has changed, I think that's part of it, and because yeah. he's so ubiquitous, but also kind of a joke, a little bit of a joke now. I, I do feel like people forget how uh, just absolutely dominant he was in the late 90s and early 2000s. He was a a, a really great player, right? You know, I, I mean, and had some incredible playoffs and, uh, yeah, some great moments, obviously, right? Uh, do you think he's been forgotten a little bit or I am do. I wrong? I think, and I think probably for reasons you're saying, I think because it's – it's not as it's odd because he has so many highlights, but not highlights in the acrobatic, right? Like beautiful sense that a, a Jordan would or a Kobe would, or even LeBron has is a combination of power and grace. I think Shaq was so large; he's incredibly graceful for someone that size. But I think you know Wilt would talk about that. Nobody loves Goliath. I think Shaq suffers from that a little bit. Um, and I just think also it's one of those things and it always makes me, I think it's what, it's what sports and sports fans do. Like people do not appreciate today, Magic Johnson and Larry Bird, the no, way that they, they used to, they don't, not the way they don't. And, and so every generation that happens to, to some people or, or to most people. I mean, Magic Johnson I, was so good. He was so good. Yeah. Larry Bird, when Magic Johnson was at his peak, Larry Bird won three MVPs in a row. Yeah, I, I so that's interesting. This is totally off topic, obviously. I would say actually they had they had slightly different peaks because I've thought a lot about this. As you uh, can see. Okay. I mean, Magic Johnson was great the first half of the 1980s and had some dominant moments and some tough moments. But you know, right, of course, right. people remember him filling in for Kareem and uh, right. you know, and then um, the '85 championship. But he, he really. So Larry Bird was the was the best player in the NBA between, you know, 1981, at least 1984, and 1986, 87, yeah? Right. Magic right. Johnson, I think his real peak was the kind of post-Kareem era. Or right, mm, you know, mm. as, as the Kareem era was ending, when he yeah. was uh, just the, the, he was the best player in, in, in basketball, I, you know, I would say. That's true. During that period. Can I just say something about Shaq, too? By the way, yeah. you know who doesn't forget how dominant he was is Chris Dudley. Chris Dudley remembers, you know. <laughs> Chris Dudley wakes up every day remembering. Go, that. everyone go on YouTube and look up Shaquille O'Neal, Chris Dudley. But I heard, so he and Barkley were having one of their, like, mildly, at this point, mildly entertaining, but also intensely off-putting and eye-rolling. Yeah, cringeworthy. Uh, arguments. 
Another great player, by the way, Charles Barkley, who's not also forgotten by a lot of people, I think. Yeah. But and Shaquille O'Neal, I, I forget how they got there. This may have been a year or two ago, but I was watching one of the the TNT broadcasts, and um, basically Shaquille O'Neal said I had really good footwork, and Charles Barkley was like, "What are you talking about? You had no, <laughs> you couldn't move." And I'm like, Charles Barkley, you're an idiot. Shaquille O'Neal had incredible footwork. Incredible footwork. I, I mean, yeah. he was a, a ballerina. He was a, a, a you know around uh, around the basket. Uh, he had the best footwork in basketball. What you he know? Did. What what like? I don't even know what you're saying right now, Charles Barkley. Anyway, I thought that was a a funny fight. Funny yeah. debate. If you want to see another funny fight, Google Charles Barkley fighting Shaquille O'Neal. It did <laughs> yeah. happen once. I, they, were, they were buddies from, from back in the day, right? I mean, that was part of it. But yes, when this was when Barkley was on the Rockets and was definitely past his prime. Yes. And ends up throwing the ball at Shaq. Is that what happens? He does. Like, there's like, some Something happens near the sideline. Barkley throws the ball. I think it bounces off Shaq's head. There's a beautiful, just crystal moment where everyone stops in the crowd, on the floor, because everyone realizes, like, Charles Barkley just antagonized Shaquille O'Neal, and then Shaq just like dives on him, and it's it's really hilarious. To do, watch. do you think friend of the pod Seth Rosenthal has done a history of beefs about this? Because I would definitely watch that. Um, he may have. I'll check. It. He actually may have. I know he did one oddly about um, there's a Shaq David Robinson beef history. I don't know if there's a Shaq Charles Barkley one too, but there certainly could be. I feel like. David Robinson is one of those players that I don't properly appreciate because I just think of him as like, the guy who couldn't win anything until Tim Duncan came around. But that's not yeah. fair. I think both. I think really after Michael Jordan, that whole generation of players, like Carl Malone, is an astonishing career. Like a literally, like a literal top one person in terms of his winning. He didn't win any rings, obviously, but in terms of how sustained that team was. And you look, Carmelo would have won like eight scoring titles in a row if Michael Jordan was six feet tall. Like every year Carmelo came in second, efficient shooting, yeah. got to the line, rebounding, great defense, a great defensive player. Um, nobody talks about that. Nobody talks about Dominique Wilkins. And the longevity of Carl Malone is the other thing. Yeah, although, but, astonishing. Although he's just such an unlikable person that you're he like, I, you know, the whole... Ugh, like I, I if you're gonna forget to... someone, you can forget a statutory rapist. But there are a lot of NBA greats who are not statutory rapists, and those are the ones that we want to honor. <laughs> I like the NBA greats who are not. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, last little free agent bit I find interesting, at least as of uh, this afternoon, Memphis and Minnesota. I believe the only two teams who have not signed anyone. So solidarity to your fan bases. It must be hard. But then again, Memphis has a million great young players, so he'll live. Why? Why shouldn't people be more excited about that Memphis team? Uh, am I am I missing something? I mean, yeah, they 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 They're have a lot very, of really interesting, interesting players, and it, you know, mm-hmm. it, uh, yeah, they have a lot going for them. I would say, yeah, they're a team that could take a jump this year. I think even people like Kyle Anderson, I, I think, are very, uh, you know, slow mo. It's very exciting. I like them. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, um, Minnesota. So, do you think Towns will will end up demanding a trade? I, I'm not. Yes, absolutely. He will be a Nick in less than two years. A Nick. He's he going to the Nick Knicks. In less than two years. Do you Guaranteed. have some kind of inside info on this that I should know about? I just. It's not the years. It's the mileage. I'm telling you. <laughs> less than two years. You heard it here first. Jackman Sports Show. This will be airing on Friday, August fifth, two thousand twenty-one. Carl Anthony Towns in New York Nick. Set your time machines. Yeah, get, get in that DeLorean and go watch it happen. Jonah, any thoughts on the men's Olympic basketball semifinals? The U.S. Um, defeated Australia earlier today, probably much earlier today. Um, yeah. In Japan. So I couldn't and, sleep last night, and I stayed up and watched it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the U.S. was uh, was getting killed at some point in the second quarter by Patty Mills and, you know, that Australia team, obviously. Yeah. Good team. Yeah. I, they are a good team and, and they play well together and they know what they, they were mm-hmm. very good defensively. And then Kevin Durant just came out and just absolutely m- murdered a, a nation. 
And, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just like, oh, my God, Kevin Durant is really good at basketball. I, I, yes, he is. Again, this is one of those things where I don't give a shit, really. I don't care if the U.S. team wins. I don't think other people really do. You know, in some ways, probably the media prefers the kind of that they lose. And so they can do all this hand wringing about something no one actually gives a shit about. Whereas, you know, I think in Australia, they probably basketball fans probably do care. Right. About the national team playing the United States. So I I almost felt bad about them. Um, But it is fun to watch this collection Mm -hmm. of of talent. And even uh, Drew Holiday was was really good and was a really good selection for this team as a, as a defender in particular and, you know, someone who could be a, a point guard. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of interesting stuff going on. The person I feel worse for, Jeremy Grant. Poor Jeremy Grant. Jeremy you know, Grant. Got chosen on the original team, ends up the 12th man on the Olympic team. <laughs> He, I hope he really, really likes Tokyo because he's not doing a lot of playing on the on the court, you know. I'm sure Jeremy Grant is having a nice summer. Good. He deserves it. Sure. He does. He deserves it. Uh, now, when are we going to talk about baseball? Are you ignoring baseball because you don't want to talk about how good the Red Sox are? Because I, you know. I have no, hey, I don't, Sox have always been my my American League team. I have no beef with the Red Sox at all. I'm surprised by how they're doing. If if I was avoiding baseball, it would be more likely because of the Mets suddenly forgetting how to win for the last three weeks, and yet still being in first place. But uh, next week's episode, actually, we will be diving quite a bit into MLB. Um, I wanted to ask you your thoughts, if any, on um, you know what? Scrap that comment. No, no. I, I just why prepare me. You want to ask me my thoughts? It was going to be a France Slovenia question, but like I don't have, I haven't seen it at all. Yeah, and uh, it looked like a good game. Yeah, went right down to the wire. Doncic, you know, like I said, third player ever to have an Olympic triple double. Um, Once again, all I can think about is what a crime it was for international basketball that the former Yugoslavia broke up. You know, obviously, a well-documented, uh, a sad history of a great team in the '80s that really split apart during the the wars of the 1990s and in, in, in the Balkans. Very awful, awful wars. But I just mean, at, at the most trite level, most superficial, that would be a super team. That would be so exciting. It's fun to think about. That would be what a Yugoslav basketball team. The Soviet be. team too. I mean, the Soviet team would have the Lithuanians, the Latvians. The Russians, Ukrainian, they, that would be a good team also. Yeah. Uzbeks, they would have the Uzbeks too. Right. So, you know, the, the, obviously that would be important. Thanks for robbing us of our dreams, fall of communism. <laughs> um, speaking of, as we did earlier, overlooked NBA greats, I'm going to refer now to a very, very, very happy 59th birthday to the most overlooked most great NBA great ever by way of Cambridge Ringe Latin High School in Cambridge, Massachusetts, then to Georgetown, then to Manhattan. Patrick Ewing, now in the Hall of Fame. When the NBA names its 75-year anniversary team this year, you can bet your ass number 33 will be on it. Happy birthday, Patrick Ewing. I know you're listening. We wish you well. Is he he the greatest Nick of all time? Yes, he is. Even the other great, Frazier and Reed have both said it's Ewing. Wow, interesting. Is he the greatest Jamaican basketball player of all time? He is the greatest basketball player from the Northern Hemisphere, period. Okay, you know. He is, the <laughs> <laughs> he is definitely, he's the greatest Jamaican. He's the greatest Nick. He he's the greatest the Hoya. Yeah. Is he the greatest Massachusetts-born basketball player ever? Wow, I, I have to, th- I, I know I'm going to forget um, you know. Who's the greatest Boston product to go to the NBA? I don't hear a lot about Boston guys. No. Uh, is Boston, it? Boston, is it? I can't think of anyone from Dana, Boston. Is it Dana Barros? You know. Maybe. Is, that, is he from there? From I got. I, I hope it isn't Nerlens Noel, who's also from <laughs> around here. Um, I, so basically, Patrick Ewing is the greatest player from Massachusetts. You please. know. I, 
Um, so the other the other people who come to mind is Vinny Del Negro. Yeah, I think really? he was from uh, Western Mass. And then more recently, Shabazz Napier was from my neighborhood, was from the neighborhood that my my father lives in. And then um, I think, so Pat Connaughton is from Arlington. And then um, is Bruce Brown from, from Boston? Maybe? He might be. Um, I think he might be. But uh, yeah, I mean, we are not a, um, not like a, I don't know, like Brooklyn point guards in the eighties or something, you know, that's. So I got to tell you, I just looked up all NBA and ABA players ever born in Massachusetts. There are 45 ever. Okay. Which I, which I feel like New York could have one draft class of like 45 NBA players. Yeah. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you just the top, the top 10. Connaughton and Shabazz Napier and Noah Vonley are just outside this list. Oh wow! Maybe the top ten Noah in terms Vonley. of games. Yeah, in terms of games played. Okay. From ten from ten to one, here are your most prolific Massachusetts-born NBA players. Number ten is a man named Bill Hewitt. I don't know who you are, Bill Hewitt, but um, you played in the seventies, and you should be proud. Um, number nine, Michael Carter Williams. No, really, Michael Carter Williams. Yes, Michael Carter Williams. Was born in. Let's see where. We're we're not a good shooting folk. You Hamilton, know, the, Massachusetts. The does, that mean, does that mean anything to you? Wait, where? Where? Hamilton, Massachusetts. Um, I may have vaguely heard of it. Okay. Keep going. Michael Carter Williams. He's number nine. Number eight, Nerlens Noel. Yeah. Number seven, he's a local kid. A man named Ron Lee, who played in the late seventies, early eighties. I don't know him. Most of the rest you will know. Number six. Matt Geiger. No way. Famous Reggie Miller antagonist, so he always has a soft place. He was in my a good heart. backup center on those Heat teams. He was fine. Yeah, yeah, he played for Charlotte, played for Philadelphia. Charlotte, right. Yep. And Philly. Uh, Utah, right. Was he the on the, the Allen Iverson final? He was. Yeah, yes, yeah. he was. Okay. So Matt Geiger, uh, number five, Toby Kimball. I don't he's the last one that I don't know who he is. He played from sixty seven to seventy five. Yep. No idea. Number four. Travis Best. Wow, okay. We we have some Travis. good quality backups. Not bad. Yeah. Not bad at all. You named number three and number two. I can see why you may have blocked out number one. Number three is Vinny Del Negro. Okay. Who was he was a fine point guard, but not a good coach. Very fine. Yeah. No, better better point guard. Yep. Uh number two, Dana Barros. I you know, people love Dana Barros. He he was ahead of his time. He would be much more effective, right? You know, if he played today. The number one I'm so excited to find this vehicle. A four-time All-Star. Whoa. A two-time NBA champion. Born in Boston, Massachusetts in 1957. Your favorite, Bill Lambeer. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's true. I'm looking at it right now. It's Bill Lambeer. Bill Lambeer is from Boston? No, he isn't. I don't know how long he lived there because it says he played in high school in California. All I'm saying is he was born in Boston. Maybe he was on the on a flight trying to get out, and he came out. Oh my god! But Bill Ambeer, born in Boston. Oh my god! Wow, you're blowing my mind right now. Right? Well, I, I, you know. So I, if I remember Bill Lambeer's father, he was maybe we talked about this was an executive for some company, right? Yes. Wasn't yeah, it a wealthy. company that was nationalized at some point by Hugo Chavez? In yes, I, yes, it's just wonderful. It makes me so happy. I hope the <laughs> his life's work was destroyed, you know, in a, in by through nationalization, not destroyed, this, this, but you know, expropriated. Let's say. This this may help you too. Uh, on among the list of career nicknames on Basketball Reference for Bill Ambeer is the Prince of Darkness, yeah, his heinous, yeah. and counterfeit Bill. Yeah. Um, do you remember? Do you know uh, legendary Celtics announcer Johnny Most? Of course, yeah, definitely. Uh, and uh, he hated Bill Ambeer, I believe. I mean, he he hated all of the Pistons. <laughs> and who was it? McDirty and McNasty. He called them. I think so. I think so. I'm, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna forget, McFilthy and McNasty. And, oh, and little, little Lord Fauntleroy. <laughs> yes, yeah. 
<laughs> like he called Isaiah Thomas little Lord. He did. Thomas. He did. Like, yeah, and Crybaby Johnson. And uh, you know, the Man. the dirty way they do things around here. You know, he used to You will not hear Mike Breen talking that way about the Atlanta Hawks the next time the Knicks play them. Certainly not. That's true. So yeah, so basically all of that sprung from happy birthday, Patrick Ewing. Um <laughs> so that's the end of our show for the day. Remember, you can follow Jonah on Twitter at JonahB1793. I am at MMiranda613. Follow the Jacobin Sports Show on Twitter at Jacobin Sports. And email us at JacobinSports at gmail.com. A few people have emailed. Uh, we will get back to you recently. Um, unfortunately, the entire Jacobin um, intern class was stricken with... Um, with with some horrible disease <laughs> last fire. week. Yeah. yeah, Zika. That's it, Zika. They couldn't, so they've been a little behind, but I'll be picking up that slack. Don't worry. Listen, um, I'm going to spend the rest of the day looking up Travis Best highlights. I just want you to know that. you know, Travis Best, very nice lefty guard. Yeah. Travis Best played at Georgia Tech. He was good. Right, right. Yep. Um, and then the Pacers, right? And uh, Yes, he was there for those late 90s Knicks-Pacer matchups. Yep. Um, our producer, as always, is the delightfully refined... Connor Gillies. He is delightfully refined. Yes. Right? That's all for this week. Thank you for listening, and we will be back next week, everybody. Take care. <laughs>